You are Locked On SEC Football, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to your Locked On SEC Football Podcast with Chris Landry. I am Dave Hooker. Go to LandryFootball.com to learn more. And I want to thank all the listeners as uh, we wrap up the first couple weeks of doing the podcast. Uh, Numbers have been fantastic. Thank you for listening. And please go to your favorite platform for podcasts and subscribe. It'll be there waiting for you each and every weekday morning. Let's start with the big lead. Let's take a look at Mississippi State's offense under Joe Moorhead. I'm sure he didn't uh, get the exact offense on the field that he wanted last year. But what do you expect this offense to evolve into if things go as planned? Well, you know, he's Joe Moorhead's really had a lot of success as an offensive coach throughout his career. He's um, he did a nice job at Penn State. The talent level was pretty good. Uh, and obviously he did a nice job at a lower level. But I do think that this is a trend. Last year was a transitional year. It was a team that was a very good defensively talented wise. And I think they had some talent on offense, but I didn't think that it clicked. And one of the reasons why I wanted to spend a little time talking about it was now that you've got another year, um, you obviously got a different looking quarterback. Where are they going to go? You've got Katon Thompson, who's not been very accurate, um, but he's got a little bit more experience. You've got, of course, um, the recent transfer of Tommy Stevens over from Penn State, but he wasn't there in the spring. So it's a little bit of an interesting dichotomy there as to where do they go at the quarterback position. And um, I mean, I think Jalen Maiden is a guy that's going to be thrown into the mix at some point, even this August. But where does this quarterback situation go? It's uh, not a deep group of running backs, um, but they've got a couple of good ones. I think Kylan Hills a, is a good 215-pound back that averaged over six yards a carry. Nick Gibson is another guy that's coming off a pretty good season. Um, you know, the running game, uh, was last year finished second in the sec behind an offensive line that I thought graded out very well, uh, graded out very well for me. And I, and they did a good job of keeping a lot of penetration from defensive fronts. Um, uh, there's a pretty good group of offensive linemen returning. Um, that's where they're going to have to really, uh, 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 make their medal. I mean, they, they're three starters back. They've got the Juco transfer and Tyree Phillips that can move into a starting spot at one tackle. And there's enough versatility with a, with a lot of physical bulk and strength to uh, maybe even match last year's production. If Daryl Williams or any of the other options can step up and play well at center in the place of Eldon Jenkins, who is not coming back and is going to be clearly lost. Going to look at the receivers a little bit. Um, you know, uh, Stephen Gidry, big, tall, angular receiver. Um the junior, Aureus Mitchell, returns after uh, leading the team with 26 catches. I, I think it's a pretty deep unit. Uh, but the passing game is where Joe Moorhead has really excelled. Can they get consistency out of the passing game? Can they cons- get consistency from the quarterback position, making the right reads, simplifying things? That's going to be the key. Um, they do have um, you know, some veterans that they can add to the mix as well at that position. So... I'm looking at it and thinking that this is a pivotal year. There's, if there's one guy that I'm a little bit concerned about in terms of his future, we know that Gus Malzahn is on the hot seat. Uh, I, I, you know, recently they gave Joe Moorhead, it was kind of quiet, an extension to four years. I mean, it's, it's a four-year deal. It's done for recruiting. 
And I don't think he's in danger of not being back for 2020. But there's a lot of pressure as there's a lot of talent last year that was left over by Dan Mullen. And I, I don't think everybody's was all that pleased. Uh, and I kind of sense a little bit this week in Joe Moorhead kind of being a little defensive, talking about his past record and things that kind of jumped out at me as uh, maybe signs of getting a lot of maybe internal and external criticism that he's trying to trying to own up to or, or not, excuse me, trying to, to look off. I mean, he made some comments, Dave, about that he had the best first-year record of any head coach at Mississippi State. Well, I mean, I, I appreciate that, but, you know, <laughs> when, when you get fired from a job, you're taking over a bad program. So most of the time you're, you're taking over a bad situation. Joe took over an outstanding situation at Mississippi State with a lot of talent, and I think they underachieved. But it was the first year, and that's usually a transition year, even with good talent. So seeing how that develops this year, I think is going to be pivotal, not for his return in 2020, but for, I think, the importance of setting kind of the standard so that 2020 can be a really good year for them. But I also think we've got an issue, and we've talked about this in the past, that what are the expectations at Mississippi State? I think that there's better expectations off the heels of Dan Mullen doing a very nice job. I don't think that's realistic for Mississippi State to expect on a regular year-in-year-out basis. I think going to bowl games, winning, you know, scheduling properly and winning at least seven, usually eight games a year, which he did with probably a little bit more talent, um, is something that's capable. I think beyond that is unrealistic. We had this conversation about South Carolina a couple of days ago. Um, I think the same thing applies. So I'm very curious to watch Mississippi State's progression or lack thereof, whatever the case may be. But as it particularly pertains to the offensive side of the ball, um, how this is going to play out uh, because that's where Joe is really heavily involved. And then they lose a ton of guys on defense. Kylan Hill is going to be pivotal. Katon Thompson is going to be pivotal. Nick Gibson is going to be pivotal. So the running backs and the quarterback and certainly the receivers are going to be pivotal because I think the offensive line is going to be solid. Uh, keep an eye out a name of Charlie Cross, a young freshman offensive tackle that I think can help them. But I think a pivotal year for Joe Moorhead and his offense to take that next step. Let's go around the country and we'll go to uh, Texas and talk about a wide receiver called uh, Brew McCoy, who uh, had been at USC, now at Texas, and now reportedly entering the transfer portal again. It seems as if he has been in the transfer portal more than not during his college career. No, this has been a soap opera. I mean, this has been unbelievable. It's a five-star kid, very talented kid. Uh, where is he headed? Where is he going? It appears like he's going to be at USC. He's from modern day. He was headed to USC uh, when Cliff Kingsbury got the offensive coordinator job. When Cliff left to go with the Arizona Cardinals, he decided to go to Texas. Uh, Tom Herman got him. Uh, flipped to go to Texas, went to Texas, has been to Texas, not been happy, picked up, left Texas, went back home. Uh, the Texas contingent of 
uh, Tom Herman. They brought Sam Ellinger, the quarterback, with them. The receiver coach, Drew Merringer. They visited uh, the, the USC, visited Los Angeles this week to visit with Drew to convince him to come back. At this point, nothing's official, obviously. But uh, I would think that the, the kid has had a huge case of, uh, of, of homesick, being homesick. And I, I would think that he's going to ultimately end up at USC. But it has become a little bit of the – it's the national version of Kelvin Joseph. Is he staying or is he gone? Except Drew's actually gone from Texas to Los Angeles. So I don't know where this is going to head. Stay tuned. We'll keep you up to date on LandryFootball.com. But he's a talented young guy. I don't think, like most people might think, he's a flaky kid. He's really not. I think he's someone that is very homesick uh, from being in California, went to Texas, probably regretted doing it, probably regretting leaving uh, USC. Really likes Texas. I think he likes both places. But I think the homesick part is where he's really tried to, um, you know, make made his decision to go back to USC. But can Texas and Tom Herman – convince them to come back. I don't know how this is going to play out, but it's going to be interesting to see. I think it's a long shot that he ends up going back to Texas, but who knows? Some, excuse me, a recruiting report coming up, some key freshmen uh, in the SEC that could have an early impact. Also, we'll step inside the film room and rank the top offensive lines in the SEC, a scouting spotlight on LSU senior guard, Damian Lewis. So, Stay tuned. More after this, you're locked on SEC football podcast. Don't forget, we also have a locked on Big Ten football podcast with Chris Landry. I'm Dave Hooker. Stay tuned. You are locked on SEC football, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back. It is time for your recruiting report. There are some key freshmen in the conference that could have an early, early impact. We see that every year and it seems that guys are more ready to play as a whole in this day and age in football than they were 10 15 20 years ago Chris yeah there is and of course there's a ton of top uh, highly uh, regarded incoming recruits that are coming into the SEC this year and you know it's one thing to look at them in December in February uh, but then at this point now that spring is completely over, uh, we see who enrolled early, who has had maybe the impact of getting settled in, and then also the impact of who came out early for the draft or maybe who's leaving in the transfer portal with the schools. So sometimes the, the top incoming recruits and who can make the biggest impact are not one and the same because sometimes there's an easier path for one player to get in and have an impact. So I thought it would be interesting to look at some players. We've talked about a few of them um, uh, here in the past, but kind of wanted to maybe put some just a handful of guys, it's not a complete list, that I think can have an early impact for one reason or another. And the first one would uh, uh, jump out to me was D.J. Dale of Alabama. Now you think, man, Alabama, defensive lineman, they've got some young guys, there's – but but this is they've got a spot open, and this kid was unbelievable. He was probably not among the top ten signings for by by the uh, the the people that like to rank this stuff for Alabama's signings. Uh, yet he's probably the number one guy that probably has the best chance of coming in and having an impact. Uh, in the rotation at Alabama's defensive tackle. So he's somebody that's really interesting that I think can help a lot. LSU, of course, 
has always had really good corners. They've got another one in Derek Stingley. We talked about him a couple of days ago. Physically, he's ready to go. Um, and he really lit it up in the spring. I think he earns his starting spot for LSU at corner. Uh, Wanda Morris, um, Wanya Morris, excuse me, from uh, Tennessee. I don't know why I said Wanda. I'm, I'm, I got brain dead here. Wanya Morris from Tennessee is uh, worked a lot at uh, uh, first uh, team left tackle this spring for the Vols. And, of course, we know there's a big need and a big spot for him. Um, Donnell Wright will be another guy to watch. I think he's not an early enrollee, so let's see how well he does at Tennessee. But look for the offensive line impact with young guys at Tennessee. I've talked about Baylor Cup uh, at Texas A&M. He is a really intriguing guy that I think could come in, and he looks like the most capable physically at this point of replacing Jay Sternberger at the all-important tight end position for Jimbo Fisher. He's a good two-way inline Y that can be effective as a blocker, and he's athletic enough and big enough uh, to win 50-50 balls over the middle, down the seam. Baylor Cup, I think, is going to help Texas A&M a lot. Nolan Smith uh, can help Georgia right away, and he's certainly probably the number one rated recruit out of the SEC class this past year. Um, he's a really good worker, smart, was there in the spring, um, and this is a guy that can really get it off the edge. He's a good edge rusher, uh, and I think he's going to have an impact. Um, you know, So I think that you're going to see those guys. I'm very curious to see what the quarterback situation, uh, how that pans out at Auburn. I think Bo Nix would be a candidate to be in that mix uh, of – um, you know, depending on Joey um, Gatewood, he's a different type of guy. They've got some good young. Both of those guys are young, but Nick's is certainly a guy that I think could be the future uh, at uh, at Auburn at quarterback. I just don't know if the future starts this year. But those, Dave, are some of the key guys that I look at right now. There's some others that we'll see how they developed over the course of the, the of August. But those guys jump out at me as guys that can have impacts pretty early. Um, in the SEC as true freshmen. We step inside the film room where Chris is going to rank the top offensive linemen uh, in the SEC. I'm sorry, the top offensive lines in the SEC. Uh, uh, assume that Georgia will be mentioned here. Yeah, I think it's the when I look at the best units in the SEC, uh, Georgia's looks like the best unit to me. In fact, um, I, I think it's the best offensive line uh, in the country. Uh, if you look at them, they returned four starters that graded out very well for me last year. Um, Andrew Thomas is outstanding. Um, it's a really good group. Uh, I think Solomon Kinley's outstanding. Ben Cleveland, uh, Jamar Saylor, really, really good. The sophomore Trey Hill's good. Um, it's, it's, it's really doesn't have a lot of holes and it's got a lot of depth. Now I think Alabama's offensive line is not, too far behind it. If you look at it, they do lose Jonah Williams and Pierce Barker, but it's still a very good group. Alex Leatherwood is going to slide from guard to tackle and do that seamlessly, I think. Uh, Jedrick Wills is really, really good. So I think they can match anybody in the country in terms of tackles. Um, I think it's a really good group. Emil Ikerfor, Matt Warmack, DeAndre Brown, the junior Chris Owens. They've got a whole lot of talent. Those two offensive lines jump out at me 
as the best among uh, the SEC. And I think there's there's it's not it's a separation after those two teams. And then I think you get into the Auburn's offensive line. I think is pretty good. We're going to talk a little bit about LSU. I like their guards. We're going to talk about a couple of those in a second. I think Kentucky returns a pretty nice group uh, as well. So that's uh, I, that's how I see the the top of the unit. The, as I go uh, beyond, uh, I think Missouri's a pretty good offensive line. I think that. Um, 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 Mississippi State would come in next. I think you would see um, A&M, then South Carolina with a couple of question marks. Then I think you got Florida, um, which is a little bit behind at this point. Then I think uh, you get into Ole Miss, Vanderbilt, Arkansas, and Tennessee is is kind of in that, uh, that uh, lower echelon area. But again, to recap, I think Georgia, Alabama, uh, I think uh, I think Missouri's a little bit underrated. I think Auburn's pretty good. Um, I think you got um, LSU then would be in that next group. Uh, and then I think you get into Kentucky, then Mississippi State, then A&M, then Carolina. Um, then I would get into the Florida, which is going to get a little bit better with some young guys and could grade out a little bit better as the year goes along. But right now I'd have to put them in that lower tier, um, and then I'd go with Vanderbilt and then Ole Miss. Then I would go with uh, with Arkansas and Tennessee kind of bringing up the rear. Coming up, it'll be your scouting spotlight on your Locked On SEC football podcast. Uh, we'll take a look at uh, LSU senior guard Damian Lewis. Very, very high grade by Chris from last season. Stay tuned. More after this. He's Chris Landry, LandryFootball.com. I'm Dave Hooker. You are Locked On SEC Football, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to your Locked On SEC Football Podcast, a scouting spotlight. We look at LSU senior guard Damian Lewis, and you had him as the SEC's highest graded interior lineman last season. That's pretty hefty praise. Yeah, he graded out very well. It was consistent and you know, a lot of times these guys don't, particularly the interior guys, don't get the the credit that they deserve. Um, boy, he was just rock solid. He's very strong in the upper body. He can turn with his upper body. Um, he's got pretty nice uh, feet. He can bend and get good leverage. Uh, liked him a lot. I thought uh, Lloyd Cushenberry played well alongside him uh, last year as well. But Lewis was, was really outstanding. If they can get really quality tackle play this year, from Austin Deckless and Saquid uh, Charles, which both, you know, Charles is a third-year starter. Deckless um, really started to get a little bit better. This could be, as I kind of mentioned, we've got some good offensive lines in the SEC. I think LSU's could be a tick better. Um, but, you know, right now I, I'm going to gonna hold off because I think the left guard spot um, is, is a little bit in question. So compared to say Alabama and Georgia, not quite there yet, but I, I put up Lewis and Cushenberry, uh, as a guard center combination, as good as any, um, in the sec. Damien has just been really consistent. He's gotten better and better from a technique standpoint. I think he's got a really good uh, NFL future. I think he could have uh, even entered last year and got, uh, I know he would have gotten a pretty good grade for me and some other NFL people, but um, both of these guys just give you an idea. And it's the, of all the positions of, we talk about 
football being the ultimate team game of all the positions where that is absolutely true is the offensive line. It's like a, it's like a chain link of five links and it really, you're only as good as your weakest link. These two guys have started uh, all 13 games last year. You could see the communication and, you know, that is, I think, misunderstood a lot, Dave, by a lot of folks that they'll, they'll see the offensive line. And the only thing they'll really notice is holes that they create for the running back um, protection for the quarterback, but it's how they do it. And, and that's, what's really important. And a lot of what defensive fronts do is they do a lot of stemming and moving and communicating to where you have to make adjustments right at the line of scrimmage that you've got to switch your assignments and you got to do it seamlessly and you've got to be on the same page and having guys with experience on the offensive line is really, really important. We talk a lot about quarterbacks, receivers being on the same page and one guy going one way, thinking the other thing, uh, that happens all the time on the offensive line. You've got to be on the same page, and when you're not, that's very often when a guy comes free on the defensive front, it's not because they've been physically beaten. It's because assignment-wise there's been a big mistake, and the quarterback is on his back. But uh, Damian Lewis, I think, is a very um, well-rounded offensive line, particularly in the run game, but getting better in the pass game. There you go. That is your Locked On SEC Football Podcast. We'll talk to you next week. Have a fantastic weekend, everyone. Check out LandryFootball.com. For Chris Landry, I'm Dave Hooker. We'll talk to you on Monday.